we want to give a welcome to our viewers across North America on the 300 stations that we're broadcasting on. We want to also give a special greeting to our churches, our new churches in the ex-Soviet Union. And today we're delighted to have so many people here at the Community Adventist Fellowship that meets every Saturday morning at 333 East Colorado, Glendale, California. And next time you're in Southern California, join us at the Community Adventist Fellowship at 333 East Colorado, Glendale. So we give you today just the warmest welcome. A number of years ago, when I was living in the great land down under, I conducted a campaign with my associates in the great Sydney Opera House, which is one of the marvelous buildings in the world. And we had a soloist who came out from Alabama, who became a very dear friend of mine. He still is. We talk sometimes on the telephone. His name is Pastor Marshall Kelly. He's a great black man with a magnificent voice. And his music touched my heart. I first heard him sing with Earl Cleveland. I was so moved by his singing that I invited him to come out and he fulfilled the ambition he told me of his life, the dream of his life, to sing in the Sydney Opera House. And I heard him sing there a number of great songs that made a profound impression upon me. One was the song entitled, Two Times Mine. Do you know it? It says, little boy made a boat. He made it out of wood. Then the little boy goes and he puts it out in the stream. But the current broke the string. And the boat drifted away. So the boat is lost. Then this little boy is going down the street and he sees the boat in a window of a shop. And he goes and gets all his money and he buys it back. And as he takes the boat home, he sings, you're mine, mine, mine. Once because I made you. And once because I bought you. Once because I made you, once because I bought you, you're mine, mine, mine. The song is called Little Boy Made a Boat. It's a great song because it teaches that there's a creator God who made us in his own image. Therefore, we are special and you are, we are unique. That is a message that moves the hearts of the Russian people like nothing else. It's an amazing thing, my friend, to see 10,000 atheists in the meeting at 7 o'clock and at 8 o'clock to see 10,000 believers. People who came into a meeting, atheists, brainwashed with socialism, which of course is a form of atheism, very unbiblical. Brainwashed with communism, socialism, Marxism, militant atheism. But in the heart of every man, there's a hunger for the living God. This can never be destroyed by man because God made us in his own image and our souls are restless until they rest in him. So they love to know that they're purchased and they love to know that they were made by the hand of God. Then he sings another song and this song made a great impression upon my ministry. It's a great song. It says, do you know the world is dying for the story of his love? I'll never forget his great, round, beaming face. People said, when he sings, they think of Jesus. And he sings the song, do you know the world is dying? 
for the story of his love. Everywhere we hear the sighing for the story of his love. Then the song goes on and talks about people lost in sin and despair who need to know Christ. I have an old-fashioned biblical theology. Not all people agree with my theology on salvation because I do not believe in any form of humanism. I do not believe that people are born in a saved condition. I believe that we are all lost without Christ. And I believe that God gave his son who came down to this earth and who died for us on the cross so that we could be brought back to God. And I want to say to you today, as you watch this program, what is the motivation of your life? When you come to your deathbed and you look back and your life flashes before you, will you be satisfied? I want to say to you, no person can be satisfied unless he lives a life of sharing Christ with people who do not know Christ. I would like you to take your Bible today, please, and turn with me to the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 3 and verses 1 down to 16. Some people have said to me when I've talked about this concept that the world is dying for the story of his love, they say, you say that because you are an evangelist. And I say, no, I'm an evangelist because I believe this. That's the difference. I don't say it because it's a part of my culture or my profession. It is because my profession, my calling, is rooted in the great truth of salvation in Christ. Please let me share these words with you. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, scared to come in the day, and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus here is talking about the most revolutionary change in a person's life. Jesus is not talking about joining a church, though I believe in getting people to join the church. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the truth that we are lost in Adam and we are saved in Christ. And when I'm born the first time, I'm born to die. But when I accept Christ as my Savior, I'm born again and I'm born to live. And the world is dying for the story of his love. I do not believe the people are going to be saved because they were good Hindus or good Buddhists or good anybody. You can put your own denomination in there. We're not saved because we are good enough. We are saved because one who was good enough made a sacrificial atonement for our sins. And when we come to him, then we are home. We have arrived. This is the new birth 
Verse 4, the theologian had it all mixed up. How can a man be born when he is old? He was talking anatomy. Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. And then Jesus gave the words that have haunted our souls ever since. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When I was a boy going through college, I used to sell books. I always tried to do the best. Everything I've done, I've tried to do the best. If I'm going to have a high blood pressure, I want it to be high. Anything, I want it to be the best. So when I sold books, I sold them the best, the most that ever been sold in that part of the world. And one book I sold had a picture done by the famous Harry Anderson, one of the greats, one of the greats. And uh, it is a picture of the cross, Jesus in the center, and there is a father with his boy. And his little boy is holding his daddy's hand and he's saying, why did he have to die? That is the great question. Why did he have to die? Some would tell me that he died simply to set us an example as a great martyr. I don't believe that. Not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there was no other way the cross was a moral necessity because of the ravaging effects of sin. And he came down and bore our sin in his own soul. That sin killed him. And he said, if anybody believes in the Son, has faith in him, he will not perish, but have everlasting life. And while we think of the positive side of this, think of the negative side. He who doesn't believe in Christ and the cross will perish. He will not have everlasting life. You say to me, and you've heard me talk on this when I spoke on the fate of the heathen, you say, what about these vast masses of people in Russia and China who don't believe? What will happen to them? Let me turn that question on its head by asking another question. What will happen to you if you do not take them Christ? Why does the church exist? Yes, as a place of nurture. But I think today sometimes we have too much nurture. Too much 
too much of comfort, too much of support, though we need it, we all need it, I need it, you need it. But the church is not just a place for psychologically sick people to come to feel warm and fuzzy. The church is a dynamic organization that has the word of life and that must share the word of life with the lost. That, of course, is the theology of our ministry. Would you please come to Luke 24? And, of course, the great theologians of the ages agree with me. I don't stand alone, of course, in this doctrine. The great theologians of the ages all agree with me. Luke chapter 24, and Jesus is giving some admonition before he goes. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus says to the church, his disciples, the Christ is going to, he suffered, it was necessary for him to suffer. It was necessary for him to make an atonement for our sins. It was necessary that he should rise from the dead. Then Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things and go and witness to me. There is so little witnessing because people haven't witnessed. They haven't seen. Now the people who are going to give testimonies today at least have seen the power of God at work. And they have come back and they can say, I have seen something. That is a witness. But this is not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about those who are witnesses of salvation. If a person has a burning passion for Christ, he will not be able to sit tight and keep it in. And so I hear all the time, and I read articles, where preachers and theologians and administrators lament the fact that there is so little witnessing. My friend, you will only be a witness when you have seen. And when you have seen, you are driven with a passion for the lost to take Christ to the world. And that is why we've gone to St. Petersburg. That is why we are going to continue to work in Russia and wherever the Lord opens the doors. And uh, I find it gratifying. It is gratifying to my own soul. Let me tell you something. When I had what I thought could have been a near-death experience, seemed like it to me, I thought to myself, and I say this very humbly to you, if the Lord takes me tonight at three o'clock, I felt a great joy and peace in my heart that I'd been able to bring Christ to so many people. I didn't have any fear. I obviously didn't want to die. That's why I said to the young lady, get around and get my team before they poke these needles into me. But I saw in my mind 
thousands of faces of people who have been redeemed. And one day, by God's grace, I will greet them in the kingdom of God. And so we went to St. Petersburg. Let me tell you a little bit about St. Petersburg. It is a city of more than five million people. Some say Norman, over six million people now. It is a growing big city. Uh, it was founded in 1703 by the great Tsar, Peter the Great. It was founded on land that had been captured from the Swedes. They'd fought over this piece of land. And Peter the Great was perhaps the greatest of all the Tsars. He was a man who was tremendously interested in the Western world. And he wanted to drag Russia kicking and screaming into a new day. The land where St. Petersburg was founded was and is still marshy land. He brought in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of peasants. And the peasants had to go out with little sacks and pick up dirt and carry the dirt and fill up a little puddle. History tells me that St. Petersburg is built upon bones and bodies. Because when a peasant became too weary with carrying his little sack of dirt and slipped and fell, then the others pushed him down in the mud and they built on top of him. So St. Petersburg is built upon mud and built upon blood. It became the capital of Russia. Moscow had been the capital, but now it was St. Petersburg, which became Russia's window on the West. It is today and has been for many years, and today it's going through a difficult economic time, but nevertheless, it remains a city of magnificent parks, grand boulevards, wonderful colleges, hundreds of colleges, palaces that cause one to gasp, and the picturesque canals. I have been through so many palaces in St. Petersburg, I don't want to see any more. I am tired of being told who sat in this seat. I am tired of the gold and all that junk. I can understand why they had a revolution. For a little while the thought even appealed to me when I saw it. I can understand why the people rose up against this monarchy which was so absolutely out of touch with the people. And when Russia was like a drunken man about to collapse, the Tsar and his wife and his children didn't even know what was happening outside. They drank their little cups of tea, not realizing the writing was on the wall. It is a magnificent city, remains a magnificent city. The Italian architect, Bartolomeo Restalii, uh, I'm sure that's wrong, but he's not around, uh, designed many of these magnificent buildings. And I just dropped that little bit in so that you know that I knew one of the architects. And today, Tourists gaze in wonder at the glorious cathedral St. Isaac's, the Winter Palace, 
one of the, has one of the greatest art collections in the world. There you see the prodigal by the great Rembrandt. Anybody who is great in painting is there in the Winter Palace. Of course, this great painting of Rembrandt, the prodigal, is a masterpiece. There is the old father, a Jewish father, you can tell. And there is the boy kneeling before him, one shoe on, one shoe off. And the old father is gazing at him with his hands on his shoulders. And you can look in the father's face for a long, long time. There's so much in the face. In the background, there is the elder brother, who is not ostentatious in his piety or over-pharisaical, but just a little better than you are. And then there is somebody else, they say a fool, who stands watching the boy come home, but doesn't know what's going on. It is a magnificent painting. It is a tremendous sermon. It is wonderful. It is also a city of revolution. Let me mention just a few of the revolutions. There have been more than one could possibly talk about in a few minutes. In 1905, the workers held a strike to petition the Tsar because they were starving to death. And for the first time, the troops of the Tsar fired on the crowds and the die was cast and the people lost faith in the monarchy. Then came another very important year, 80 years ago, friend. In 1917, Lenin came back to St. Petersburg to get the Bolsheviks organized. And then there came the day, October 24, and the Bolsheviks occupied key positions around the city. They had very few arms. If the Tsar and his men had been prepared, they could have squashed it. But because of their decadence and their laziness and their pomposity and stupidity, they did nothing about it at all because they were a bureaucracy out of touch with humanity. That night, the cruiser Aurora fired the shot heard around the world. And communism took a great step forward. The provisional government in the Winter Palace surrendered to the Bolsheviks and then civil war broke out. It didn't last for that many years, but soon that great land had become communist and nominally atheist. People say, why communism? Why this Marxism and atheism? Communism, my friend, was an illegitimate response to an illegitimate church and an illegitimate government. The church in Russia was rich, still is. Did you know that the church in Russia is about the most wealthy organization in all of Russia? Owns much of the oil, is the main importer of alcohol and cigarettes, I could tell you story after story. It was an utterly corrupt church presided over by bishops and priests who were more interested in their bellies than the souls of the people. And the government was corrupt through and through. 
And thus this gave birth to communism, which was an illegitimate reaction against an illegitimate rotten church and rotten government. In 1924, Lenin died. And the workers of St. Petersburg, by popular vote, changed the name of the city to Leningrad. One of the most remarkable events in the history of the world is the 900 days siege of Leningrad, St. Petersburg. Of course, the Nazis were standing around the city by the hundreds of the thousands. The siege started on the 8th of September, 1941, and finished on the 27th of January, 1944. It lasted for 900 days. Whatever one can say, one cannot deny the incredible courage of the Russian people. Did you know, my friend, I say to you, my American friends and my Canadian friends who are watching the telecast and the people down in the Caribbean, the greatest battles in the history of the world were not fought on the Western Front. They were fought in Russia. The greatest tank battles, thousands of German tanks, thousands of Russian tanks. In this awful siege, between 500,000 and some say as high as a million people died from the Nazi shelling and from starvation. Every day when I was there, I went for a jog, and I jogged in Victory Park. There are these lakes there now. I only discovered, after I'd been there for a week or so, that this place was the scene of a great crematorium. Did you know that, Ethel? It's where they burned the bodies. What do you do with half a million bodies? What do you do with thousands of people dying every day? They buried them there at this area, which is now called Victory Park. I want to read you out of this book, St. Petersburg, and I want to read you a little statement about the awful horror of the siege. Move my heart as I read it, and uh, I think it's going to move your heart, friend. Listen. The diary entries of one little Leningrad girl, Tanya Savicheva, is an epic account of the freezing, starving city's tragedy. Here is the entry. Granny died on the 25th of January. Uncle Aloysia on the 10th of May. Mummy on the 13th of May at 7.30 a.m. Everyone's dead, only Tanya is left. A doctor by the name of Samovarova recalls, they ate all the cats and whatever dogs there were. Men died first because men are brawny, do not have much fat. Women, even small ones, have a thicker layer of fat. But women also died, even though they were tougher. People turned into old folks because their layer of fat had been destroyed and all their muscles and veins showed through and they were all terribly flabby. Children worked at factories to get workers' ration cards. Many of them were so weak with hunger that they were tied to the machines to prevent them from collapsing. When people could stand it no longer, they made soup from wallpaper, leather belts, 
and gloves. When I spoke there on the opening day before the 28,000 people, I told them I felt it was an honor to stand in the presence of, a, of the people of this city who had shown incredible courage. I don't know any city that has eclipsed St. Petersburg for courage. Some of the people who were baptized and who came to the meetings were actually in the siege. I salute them as great heroes, great patriots. It is unlike any other Russian city. I've been right across Russia. I know it a little. Don't know it well. I don't think anybody knows it well. But this is unlike any other Russian city. It's unlike like Moscow, Nizhny, anywhere. It is sophisticated. When you walk down the streets, the women are better dressed there than they are here in America. It is proud. It is independent. It is intellectual. It is atheistic. And it is wealthy. Dr. Bernard Brandstater, dear friend of mine, countryman and uh, anesthesiologist, visited one of the hospitals there, one of the better ones. He said the doctors were doing operations there that we don't even do here in the United States. He said they had the very best technology, such as we can't afford here in the States. Though in the hallway of the hospital, they couldn't turn the lights on. And each doctor who was fiercely proud and independent and condescending to the American, to the Australian doctor, earning a hundred dollars a week. No, a month. A hundred dollars a month. And the hospital supplies them with a daily ration of milk plus a hundred dollars. But they're proud. They think they are the very best because they were the ones who founded communism. August 2 will be a day that will be remembered by thousands of people. 28,000 souls packed the Palace of Sport and Culture in two sessions to hear the Word of God. Many people said it couldn't happen and it wouldn't happen but I'm here to tell you, it did happen. And there will be souls in the kingdom of God because people came from this part of the world and came to St. Petersburg with the living Christ. One of our team members was Pastor Oli Olson, who is associate pastor of the Vallejo Drive Church. We appreciate so much the Vallejo Drive Church and the pastoral staff and Pastor Olson, it was a privilege and a pleasure to have you along on the trip. Would you tell us your impressions? You were there as a team member. You did a wonderful job helping with the projectors. We couldn't have done it without you and Donna. And you were a blessing to the people. Uh, Pastor Olson is also a major in the U.S. Army as a chaplain. And so, you folks just be very nice to him. <laughs> Tell us, Oli, your impressions. I had the real privilege to go, and I want to thank those, your supporters here, who made it possible for me to do so. When I was there, they asked me to room with your interpreter, Vadim Butov. Here was a young man at 21 years of age who had grown up in an atheistic home. His parents were scientists, worked in a mine, he was bright, bright, bright. 
He knew all these languages, including wonderful English. But at 21, he had already done enough evangelistic series to have brought in 300 people to the faith in Jesus Christ. Out of coming out of atheism and a, a brief stint with orthodoxy, suddenly he became a Seventh-day Adventist after studying and researching all that. I saw an enthusiasm, a gift there, like overwhelm me. Because I certainly hadn't done that when I was 21. Maybe not when I'm 50. But it was, it was amazing to see how much energy he put into it. And when I think of him taking the effort that you put together and all the tapes and everything to put it out there in Russia where that may become even more difficult for you and me to return, that, that itself was inspiring. I, and he told me how much he earned, about as much as doctors, 100 a month. And he was doing all that, and I make so much more and do not that much. But the other thing I saw was some of the people that you had brought to Jesus Christ in, in other cities, Nizhny Novgorod. A lot of them were there to help out. And I, one of my favorite memories is two of the young men who they came, they worked hard, Igor Dima, sleeping on the floor of the stage. But on Sabbath morning, when we had to come, and Jim and I and a few others were putting up all kinds of things, they were over doing their Sabbath school lesson, kneeling down and praying, worshiping God in the middle of all that. And I said, this, these people, they know about this. I, I loved meeting the people. I saw others who were like that. Somebody here better mention Gennady and Natasha and all the efforts that they will do. Wonderful people taking the gospel out to others. I just, it's hard to believe that they can do so much with so little. And I'm glad I could be a part to make it possible for them. Anything more you want me to say? Ali, it was a privilege and a pleasure to have you come. I believe you were blessed, but you took a blessing. I Thank did. you. One, one thing I will mention, near where I sat and worked, hmm. Salvation Army worker kept coming and listening. Jim told me by email afterwards that he came to the baptisms. He was there and we're still praying for him. These are the kind of people that can't speak the language, but you can touch. But the people who really made contact were the lady sitting behind me, and I think Ruth White is next. She has a, a wonderful thing to tell. Uh, Ollie, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sister Ruth White was baptized in the Pasadena meetings uh, coming on three years ago, and she came with us, and she was a blessing, and uh, Sister Ruth, just tell the folks from your heart how you felt about the meetings and what happened to you in the meetings. The uh, Spirit of God just moved through that great big, big auditorium from the very first uh, evening. And we had gathered around us many um, ladies and young people that we shared with and greeted and hugged and loved every night of the meetings that we were there, two meetings every night. And among these were two young men, um, a young man named Mike who came, and the night that you passed out the Bibles, I happened to take my own uh, NIV with me. And Mike was quite interested. He spoke English, and he was interested in reading my Bible. So as you were reading John 3.16, I gave him my Bible that, so he could read John 3.16 in the English Bible. 
and he brought a friend with him, and they sat there, and we would, the one could speak English, so we could talk back and forth. The night that you spoke on the dark deeds of the Antichrist, these young men stood there after the prayer and were absolutely dumbfounded. And they stood there talking, and I stood, and I thought, well, what should I do? Should I sit down? Are we going to talk or what? Finally, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, sit, stay, stand. So I sat. And pretty soon they turned to me and said, did you know this before you came to this meeting? And I said, yes, that I did know this before I came to the meeting. I explained about the Pasadena Crusade. And then they wanted to know, why, why have we never heard this before? And so we talked about uh, the, the communist system, about how the Bibles, the books were burned, how they didn't want these people to know the truth will make you free. And they didn't want them to know. I understand um, that Mike and this other young man may have been baptized in the, in the meetings. They did tell me the last night that I was there, we will come. We will keep coming. We want to hear these truths. So I was truly blessed. We were, we were blessed to have you, Ruth. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Now, we have some great interviews to, to bring to you. Now, Debbie Belko, would you like to come, Debbie? We're glad to have you with us. Debbie is the wife of Dr. Boris Belko, and you both came with us on the Trans-Siberian Express. We all lived together in somewhat one would call squalor, <laughs> in no close quarters, no showers, but lots of borscht uh, for eight days from Moscow to Vladivostok, three million miles. Tell us, tell us, tell us your impressions of this campaign in St. Petersburg. It was so different from any of the other campaigns that I have been to. Um, number one, because the people are so educated and learned. I was lucky enough to meet a woman, her name was Ira. She was a widow and was 72 years old, and she was still a practicing neurologist there in St. Petersburg. She had commented, and you had mentioned earlier about the 900-day siege. She was a young teenager during that period of time, and she even commented to me about the hardships that she can vividly remember and the trials and all of the things that went on during that period of time. And she commented, not only could she remember that, but countless others that were sitting in that auditorium night after night after night had been witness and had endured that period of time. Sue, you are right. They were a totally different, solid, proud, strong, intellectual group that was there. So you met all these people. Does something stand out in your mind about an individual or somebody? This era, again, she would communicate with us mostly by letter, although she did speak English very well, but she seemed to be more comfortable writing in letters to us. She wrote that she, well, she told me that it took an hour and a half for her to come to the meetings each night. She came, she wrote down the Bible texts that were on the blackboard, took notes during the meeting, and she was there night after night. Friday before the first baptism, she had promised us that she would come and attend the first baptism. We didn't see her, but of course there were a lot of people there. Saturday night we came to the meetings and there she was, sitting in her seat where she always sat. She was writing out another letter to us, apologizing for not attending the holy procedure, as she called it. But she said she just couldn't go. We asked why. You see, her father had been a Russian Orthodox. 
Her mother had been a Russian Orthodox and had countless other people in her family before her for generation after generation. And she said even in attending the baptism, she felt it would be a betrayal to her ancestors and to her heritage. But the good news is, there always is some good news. The last letter that we received from her, she said, I now see my life is divided into two parts, before you came and after. And a PPS in this very same letter, and I want to read her words exactly as she wrote them because they are so important. She wrote, in seeing the happy people today, I think that after all, I will be baptized. It is a wonderful feeling to be in the sea of joy. Thank you for all you have given to our town. Love, Ira. It's beautiful. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you, Boris, also. You've been such great blessings to us. A person who is very precious to us is Bob Stone. Uh, Bob was uh, a member of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and he came with us with his precious wife. And Bob, I'm going to ask you to come. And I want you to tell the folks, because you were there with us for a little while, and I want you to tell the folks from your heart what impressed you most of all. Well, I have to say that I was so impressed with this whole campaign, the way the whole thing worked, starting from the cameramen to the crew, and then when you came out with the, presenting the gospel like that, it was just overwhelming to me. Wonderful. And then I looked out at this sea of people, and you can see faces there with sadness, with obviously brought up in this 70 years of communism. But after being there a few nights, the same people came out with joy in their faces and hugged us. I mean, things, I mean, it was so overwhelming. I, I, I think I could start crying right here because it just overwhelmed me. That's all I can say. And the glory of God was in that place. Bob, it was a great joy to have you with us. We hope that you and your wife will come again. God bless you, Bob. You are a strength and a blessing to the people. Yes, indeed. A person who has touched our lives in a very real way is our friend Paul Mickelson. Of course, all of the viewers on television know that Paul was connected for a number of years with Dr. Billy Graham and some of the large crusades, the New York Crusade and the Greater London Crusade. And Paul believes that people are saved by coming to Christ. He believes that when the evangelist gives the altar call, I believe in altar calls. And when people come and make a decision for Christ, he believes that people are born again, become citizens of the kingdom. Paul, tell us your impressions. Thank you, John. This is my fifth time to that part of the world with you, uh, four times in Russia and once in the Ukraine. And as we go each time, uh, you know, you sort of get butterflies. I've been in many crusades. I was reading Billy Graham's latest book, uh, Just As I Am, and uh, counted the number of crusades that I was with him, uh, over 30 that we had. But uh, I, I think it's good. It must be like a football player when they go to a game. Uh, if you don't have a little bit of butterflies in your stomach and getting ready for the uh, action of, of what you're involved in, I, I, I think you, you don't, you're not ready for, the, for what is going to be happening. And I just praise God for, even though I had uh, such uh, experience with that 28,000 people there, we realized that they had come not to hear us play the uh, instruments. They had come to hear the Word of God. And uh, then 10 nights later, when, you, uh, sh when they had their, their brand new Russian Bibles, many of them who had never had a Bible in all of the years that they had been alive, 
uh, to open the scripture to John 3.16. And uh, this is the fifth time that we saw that. And as we see their faces, I had, had the privilege of the vantage point of being on the platform along with you and Norm Matico, rather than being out in the audience. And you could see the glow on the face of these people. And as they raised their Bible for the first time to realize that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And uh, so it was a great thrill from that standpoint. And then from a musical standpoint, as a musician, uh, to be in the city of St. Petersburg, where we realized that many of the great composers were uh, laid to rest there. My very favorite composer of all, uh, Dr. Rittenhouse, is Tchaikovsky. And she mentioned one night when I started playing a theme from Tchaikovsky's B-flat minor concerto, the audience started out in applause because that's, that's one of their men. Uh, Mussorgsky and uh, Rimsky-Korsakov and many of the wonderful composers that we know from the last uh, century are laid to rest in that city. But you know, uh, music there, even though they love it, uh, music in their churches is in the minor mode. Have you noticed that? And I visited on the last uh, weekend of our trip there a, an Orthodox church. There's no organ, there's a cappella choir, and they're all singing in a chant. And when, when we could present the gospel as, as we know it here in America, of uh, God so loved the world and amazing grace and all of these wonderful songs, what a thrill it was to be able to present this kind of music. And they seem to, because they love music, they seem to really uh, take to it and enjoy it, and uh, we're so thrilled to be a part of your crusades. And Paul, you are a great blessing, and you are to our church, and we want to thank you for coming. God bless you, Paul. Paul Mickelson. Some of us are going to go back in January. This coming January, we're going to visit Kiev, where we now have over 3,000 new believers from the campaign there, still standing firm, glory be to God. So we plan to visit all those new churches in Kiev. Then we're going to go on to Nizhny Novgorod, which we haven't visited now for about a year. And we're going to have meetings there. Of course, it'll be the middle winter. And then we're going to go on to St. Petersburg, where the brethren are going to hire a large auditorium. We're going to have meetings there. Then next year, as I mentioned to you this morning, we are planning on 50 video campaigns. People say, does it work? We tried it in the city of Dzinsk, a city of 400,000 people, simply with my videos, with a voiceover, with a budget of $1,000, 3,000 people came. I came after eight nights. I had an altar call and 1,400 people came forward simply because of videos. We have, we believe, the finest video production, the finest series ever produced for these people. We will have some 26 one-hour programs. Our crew excelled themselves. They're outstanding productions. It is our aim to buy a heap of video projectors and video screens. And uh, young Vadim, God bless him, is going to be one of our staff members. We're going to pay his salary. We're going to pay him more than $100 a month, too. 
and he's going to be on our staff, and he is going to travel across the Soviet Union next year organizing video, 50 video campaigns. We're going to give to each area a budget. We don't need to give a huge amount in these smaller towns of 300,000, 400,000. But we are going to find, by the grace of God, sufficient money to run 50 video campaigns, and we have an aim of 5,000 born-again baptized souls. I believe it's going to happen. You see, it is becoming more difficult for foreigners to go to Russia. Every year, it's more difficult, and the doors are closing. But my friend, the Word of God is not chained up. It is not bound. And the Word of God is alive, and we want to see this ministry not diminish, but grow as it reaches out to touch the 290 million precious souls in the ex-Soviet Union and to bring to them the living Word of the living Christ and to get them from this hellhole of an existence that many of them have and transport them at last to the kingdom of God. So that is where we go from here. Let me tell you one other thing. I want to thank our supporters. I want to say to our supporters across North America, the widow who sent $100, the dedicated businessman who sent us $100,000 because he believes in the message of God the people who sent us $15,000 because they had watched the television program and they believe in evangelism. And other people who've sent 500 and 1,000. And the little girl who sent me $7.50 and said, Pastor Carter, I was going to buy something with it, but I'm sending it to you to buy some Bibles. We want to say to all of these people across this great land of North America, thank you in the name of Christ. Thank you in the names of those who will be saved because of your faithfulness to God. One night after the meeting, I had mentioned that we have a little poodle whose name is Kelly. Very sophisticated little poodle. Beverly's poodle. And the lady came to the meeting to see me and she had brought her own little poodle. And he was a nice little poodle, not as nice as Callie, but he was all right. And she said to me, I travel to the meetings every day, eight hours, four hours coming, four hours going. I said, maybe I have misunderstood her. Eight hours? She said, I'll leave here tonight at 9.30 because she was the last to leave. She wanted to talk to people. And I will get home at 1.30. And then I have to leave. And then, yes, walking, 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 traveling, and then walking. A sophisticated, charming intellectual with a poodle. And then she would leave home after lunch and travel at least four hours traveling. I said to her, why? She said, because I've waited so long. She said, I have been so hungry for so long. And so I remind you of Marshall Kelly and his song. Yes, she was baptized. First baptism, not the poodle, I hope. <laughs> she was baptized 
And the poodle was there as a witness. Listen, a woman who'll travel eight hours. What does it tell you? It tells you, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God loves to fill hungry people. Are you hungry for God? One of the great tragedies about religion in North America is that it is so commercialized that some people simply call it the Jesus bears. It's a shortcut to a quick buck for some. But in the hearts of millions around the world, there is a gnawing pain. It is a hunger for Christ. That is why the great theologian St. Augustine said, our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in him. That little lady traveled eight hours a day because her soul was made for God and she couldn't rest until she rested in him. Today she is resting in him and we will see her by and by with you we pray in the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Precious Father God, we thank you for these words that we've heard today from Scripture and the testimonies of these people who have seen the glory of the Lord. We thank you for the professors from the universities who came and were baptized and for the doctors. What an amazing thing, dear Father, because we believe the gospel is for every person. The person with no educated, no education, but also the educated. And often the educated are neglected by us. But we thank God that in this campaign, thousands, tens of thousands of the intelligentsia from the fortress of atheism came and heard the truth and many became free. We dedicate our lives to you today to preach this word and to bring to the lost the living Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.